why have you never told me before that in the comics thanos has made hulk into his dog um... and hulk also ate captain america in the said in the same comic I'm not, I'm not sure what issue this is. I must not have ever read it. It's the Thanos comic, apparently. Well, he's had a lot of series. Like... Uh, 2016, I believe. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. It's I haven't the one where that. Punisher's Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah. He, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah. And the Hulk is Thanos' Hulk hound. He mm-hmm. has him on a leash. And he feeds him, apparently, Avengers. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that sounds pretty fucked up. Because apparently it's revealed that Hulk is immortal. Yeah, he like that's his. Well, that's the name of his title now is the Immortal Hulk. I don't know if I like that. Um, I haven't read. It. I was actually thinking about checking it out. Um, you know, since you know everything's going on, have a little bit more free time. because uh, I hear it's pretty good. But yeah, I don't know why he can't be killed or how how any of that works. That I was never a big Hulk guy, so I, I haven't. I only read like things that after the fact, after I've heard like right. you know that they've been good, and then I've I eventually check them out. Yeah, Hulk's kind of like Superman, and it's hard to write good Hulk stories. I would think because he's so powerful. Yeah, I mean he at least has more of a human element to him, but. Even so, it's still, I mean, he's kind of impervious. Now, if he's immortal, he's really impervious to danger. I mean, what are you going to do to him? You could throw him in outer space and he just floats and he's like, fuck, this yeah. sucks. I don't know. Oh, could you imagine him coming back through the atmosphere? Like, the crater that he would leave? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be like a fucking meteorite. Big like a Hulk bomb. Well, that's very disappointing. Then you can't enlighten me further on something I read today randomly on the internet. Yeah. Well, before uh, Thanos was always is a weird character because before the uh, gauntlet thing going on, like he was like this, like not very like super powered bad guy. Like he had his he had a helicopter. He wasn't very menacing. And no. He was always like drat. Yeah, like, ah, he, drat. You fooled me again. And well, he kind of just fooled himself. He always yeah. uh, made himself lose, kind of. But yeah, he wasn't really intimidating by any means. He was kind of a. Like a nerdy villain. But then whenever you get, you know, the power to, to change and control all the cosmos and, you know, reality and everything like You become that. kind of a dick. Yeah, I mean, uh, who wouldn't I? I would. What I would do with a snap. Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. With, with all the, if you wield all the power in the universe, that's what you would do? Two chicks at the same time. Well, maybe three. Whoa. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's pushing it. Hey there, everybody. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, let me check the note on my hand that's not actually there. Ooh. Ooh. Spencer, the Sacramento Sack Sucker Church. <laughs> wow, that was a lot. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't want to say it. That was I, a mouthful there. I didn't want to say it when you email me that this is my name for the week. <laughs> oh, is that what I didn't want to say it. Man. I thought it was a little gross. I must have been on the influence of something because I do not remember <laughs> sending that. Yeah, yeah, you should go in your archives. You probably saved it somewhere. Um, today's episode is a lot more classy than that awful, gross introduction I just gave. We are going to be talking about five narrative types and examples for said narrative types. This is brought to you by NowNovel.com. I will put that in the show notes because 
unlike some of our recent articles that we tried to cover, this one seems to actually be done well. No horrible ad placement. Uh, no nonsense. Very, like, simple, direct. Simple, direct. Uh, do you see an author on here anywhere? Let me check at the bottom. I do not, so I cannot accredit anybody. But I will, like I said, put this in the show notes. Because I like doing that when we use people's articles. But this is how we learn. Especially when they're a good one. Yeah, I found uh, quite a few, but this one seemed to be the most condensed with good examples. Because for me, I need examples. You can tell me something or describe it, but if you give me an example, that's the easiest way for me to learn it. I just, oh, there we yeah. go. That's what it is. I guess we should start with the, what is narrative? Because if you're really just in the beginning of your writing career, you might not even know the basics, so we'll cover them for you. Narrative is writing that connects ideas, concepts, or events. The definitions below show three important aspects of narration in storytelling. Number one, it connects events, showing their patterns relating them to each other or to specific ideas, themes, or concepts. Number two, it is a practice and art in that when we tell a story, we shape the narrative, the connection between events. And number three, narrating a story involves shaping events around an overarching set of aims or effects, whether consciously or unconsciously. For example, in a comedic narrative, the overarching aim is to surprise, shock, or otherwise lead the audience or reader to be amused. I never really, I guess I can say in my personal writing, I never really thought of the narration or the narrative in that kind of aspect. Like, I always thought, okay, this is the story I'm telling, but I never thought, like, oh, I'm just going to be set out to write a comedic narrative. Yeah. Like, like I'm writing, you know, working on a few adventure stories. Yeah, I guess you could say it's an adventure narrative, but I never really thought of it like that. I'm just thinking this is the story I'm telling. Mm. But if you really look into it, Kind of breaking it down into the narrative structure is a good idea because then you can kind of go more heavy into the themes you're trying to relay. So if you want a comedic narrative, you can have, uh, say, dramatic elements, but no, this is still a comedic narrative, so I need it to be overarching, like, still have the comedic aspect more than the dramatic aspect. That makes sense. Here are three definitions of narrative via the Oxford English Dictionary. That illustrates the above ideas. Fuck, you know what? When I was t- uh, did the read this podcast with Ash, I forgot to ask him if British people really call aluminum aluminium. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> yeah. I done fucked up. Next time. Next time when we get him on six months from now. <laughs> uh, one, a spoken or written account of connected events, a story. Two, the practice of art or telling stories. And three, a representation of a particular situation or process in such a way as to reflect or conform to an overarching set of aims or values. All right, interesting. So now that we've clarified what narrative is, here are several types of narration with examples and tips for using them better. So strap in, folks. We're getting to the meat of the matter. We're getting on the ride and accelerating. Sorry, I don't know why I'm going into radio guy mode today. Just fucking saying stupid shit that doesn't need to be said. I kind of like it, though. Yeah, it's fun. Strap in. You get ready for this jackhammer of a ride. Well, so- it's, it's better radio guy than, like, uh, strip up DJ. Hey, welcome to Cinnamon on the stage, on the main stage. Get your Benjis out. I don't like strip club DJs either. Number one, descriptive narrative. Descriptive narrative connects imagery, ideas, and details to convey a sense of time and place. The purpose of descriptive narrative. Descriptive narrative has two key purposes. Number one, to create a sense of setting of time and place. Two, to convey the mood and tone of said time and place. 
Example, threatening, peaceful, cheerful, chaotic. When we describe a pastoral scene in a rural setting, for example, we might linger on specific images such as a wide empty field and abandoned tractor to build up an overarching mood such as peaceful simplicity. You can brainstorm descriptive details for your narration or about your narrator in now novel step-by-step -step prompt process. And if you go to the site, I guess you can find their step-by-step -step you know, whatever process. Yeah. Um, in my stories, I definitely always try to set an atmosphere in yeah. regards to the setting. So, like, yeah, I, I, I think I showed you the beginning on one of the episodes of the that adventure story I wrote. It was like a desolate field yeah. of full of dead bodies, and I kind of described it being frozen and... Like it's all you only need a couple sentences. Like that was a good example with the empty, you know, land and the abandoned tractor. That's a good way to kind of, with a couple sentences, just give a setting. Whether it's desolation or you can do like a bustling street in New York. You don't need a lot of imagery, just enough to get the reader involved in uh, kind of being able to see like where the story's taking place without actually having to go too much into it. Example of descriptive narrative. The Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez is a master of this type of narration. Also, folks, the reason I picked this article is because they actually use really well-known and good writers yeah. for their examples. In Love in the Time of Clora... Fucking, I did this last time we had to read this stupid mm. word. In, in Love in the Time of Cholera, the third-person narrator describes the unnamed seaside city in the Caribbean where much of the novel takes place. Marquez narrates the passage through the eyes of Dr. Urbino, one of the city's most distinguished doctors. And here's the example from the story. The city, his city, stood unchanging on the edge of time, the same burning dry city of his nocturnal terrors and the solitary pleasures of puberty, where flowers rusted and salt corroded, where nothing had happened for four centuries except a slow aging among withered laurels and putrefying swamps. In winter, sudden devastating downpours flooded the latrines and turned the streets into sickening bogs. Damn, there's a lot happening there. Yeah. That just last part with the, the, you know, flooded fucking toilets and bogs. Like, ooh. I just think of gross swamp yeah. poop. That, Robert E. Howard did that in the one Conan story where uh, they were just dumping human waste out the windows yeah. in the street. And it built up into these fucking big poop pits. Yeah. He didn't use such a dis you know, vivid words as I just did, but it was pretty good. In the space of a paragraph, Marquez shows how the city changes or doesn't change over centuries. This makes Marquez's setting more vivid and real. The narration passes from showing the city's history to its citizens' current ways of life. The narrator proceeds to describe the lives of poor inhabitants. During the weekend, they danced without mercy, drank themselves blind on home-brewed alcohol, made wild love among the Ikako plants, and on Sunday at midnight, they broke up their own party with bloody free-for-alls. Again, pretty yeah. awesome. I like the drinking themselves blind, yeah. and like that just gives you this slight sense of desperation. Like They're trying to ignore their lives because their lives are so terrible, yeah. so they just got to drink and, and the water. And the, the love making between the plants. Mm. They're living for the day, is what you get from that. Over the course of two pages, Marquez masterfully shows the city's mood, culture, unique spirit. His narration then zooms in closer on individuals' lives. The multiple timescales in this narrative, past and present day, combine to give a rich sense of time and place. Side, side note, that's, the, uh, that's another one we got to cover is uh, tenses. Mm. Do an episode about writing in past, present, present, and mixing, and yeah. all that stuff. Because I read some stories where they do a good job of mixing past and present, and you're not even really aware it's happening. But some stories, it's so like blatant jarring. in your face that, yeah, jarring's a perfect word. You're like, 
ooh, like you just don't like it. I know that's what that's uh especially in like first drafts. That's yeah. a, that's a problem with me because it's like you're just trying to get through the story and getting it on paper, and you don't sometimes realize like. Earlier in that paragraph, it was a was, and you did an is this mm. time. Like, you know, just... Accidentally, this, yeah. like, that happens to me when I take a break from something I'm writing, and then I come back to it, oh, and, and for you, whatever you reason, remember. I, yeah, I'll, like, halfway through the story, just start writing in a present tense, yeah. and then, like, oh, when I go to the editing, I was like, now I gotta switch every fucking word to past tense. It's a pain in the balls. And then it's, and then it's, it's rough, too, because, like, sometimes... Just switching that word, you have to switch the sentence, yeah, or whatever. You know, sometimes just changing that one word, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit right in that sentence. It sounds weird. And then if you're doing a story where it has flashbacks and stuff, you have to really pay attention to what you're changing because you might accidentally change the like. Say you wrote the story in pa- uh, present tense, and then you start writing in past tense on accident. Like you just switch, and then you're like, oh fuck, I gotta switch it. And then you're like, oh, but the flashbacks are they have It'll to be, be in past yeah, tense. Yeah. Uh, but I've read stories where people left the flashbacks in present tense too. I hate it. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I, I, I don't like to have to focus this much to yeah. keep the story together. Like, wait, what? Okay, so next we are on to number two, which is viewpoint narrative. Often the express purpose of a section of narration is to help to us understand the views and feelings of the narrating character or viewpoint narrator. Point of view or POV is thus a key element of narration. Read about different types. Okay, and again, they have more stuff you can click on when you go to the article. The purpose of viewpoint narrative. Viewpoint narrative presents events or scenes to us so that we see under... What? That we see, understand them through narrators. That seems like that's worded weird to me. Viewpoint narrative presents events or scenes to us so that we see them through narrators' feelings, desires, beliefs, or values. It says that we see, understand them. They they fucked up. You know, it's like your first person story. Yeah. Yeah. Before I go on to this, like a POV narrative is good because the uh, the reader can only see what the character sees. Yeah. So especially if you're doing like a monster story, horror, whatever you're doing, you know, there's some lurking serial killer in the house. You don't know he's behind the door because the character doesn't know they're behind the door. Yeah. So you're on the ride with the character. That's that's always a fun, fun read. I find myself... Not doing a lot of first person, unless if it's like a um maybe like a flash fiction mm-hmm. or like a shorter story like story because like I don't at least like for me now I think to do like a full novel in first person rough. would be pretty difficult I would think that's why a lot of uh, stories that I've read that are, like whole books that are first person they either have multiple characters. Or they oh, have, they can squish back and yeah. forth from that's or they idea. do uh you know letters newspaper clippings random journal entries they'll they'll really skip around it's usually you don't read a lot of novels at least I haven't where the whole thing's just first person one character and it sticks to it completely though they do say first person which is kind of why a lot of people when they start writing they write in first person narrative is because it's the easiest it's it's like I guess for most people it's the hardest to fuck up. Because yeah. all you're doing is pretty much saying I, so you're just thinking yeah. like, okay, I'm the character in the story. This is what I see. This is what's happening. You don't have to be, you don't have to describe things in a certain way that, like, say you do in third person, where, like I said, with the serial killer behind the door. Well, how can you describe the serial killer behind the door, letting the reader know it's there while still building tension yeah. and making it so you're scared for the character when they walk through the house? The, that the skill, like, just for that scenario is. Um, finding a way to b- 
build a t- tension, like somehow finding a way to um to describe like if they're both on the same side of the wall, like you know yeah. what I mean, and like literally like they're about to as soon as they go around into the corner, they're gonna come face to face, like you know what yeah. I mean. That's um we always bring it. Or I always bring it up because with the uh that's one of the things like I enjoy about comics is the because you could have all these different narrations. In one issue. Yeah. And it would make sense. Yeah, because it's visual. Yeah, and because, you know, you can have one part of the story being narrated by some third person or just, you know, somebody that's not even just the narrator. Mm -hmm. Or you can have it being narrated by the main character's thoughts. Or it's some other character's point of view from, like, you know... So that that that's one of the things I really, really love about that medium is the way you can mess with that stuff. Viewpoint narrative has power. We might interpret story events the way the narrator does. Because we don't have a different viewpoint for comparison, or because their voice is strong, self-assured, yet the viewpoint narrator in a scene may be unreliable. They can lie about what truly happened or gloss over details that, for example, make them look worse or uh, worse to others. I like uh, the unreliable narrator. That's always a good one. Yeah. Because uh, think of like American Psycho. You don't know what's true and what's not true. You, you're just taking the character's word for it. What do you uh, what do you find yourself writing more? Uh, that's what I wanted to touch on. Uh, we'll get on that in a like, yeah. We'll, we'll cover that at the end. Let's. But um, what I wanted to say was we like I personally I personally have trouble like kind of going into a story and thinking what uh like what is my narration yeah. like am I gonna be first person or because usually I'm telling it from like a third person perspective but I always heard you're supposed to have somebody either like somebody. It's the author narrating or an unknown narrator or something. Like, you can't just tell the story. Yeah. Well, I always find I'm just telling the story yeah. usually. And I think that's on this list, so we will get it, to that. That's normally one of my biggest things with the story is figuring out... Who's telling the story? Yeah, like which, like how you were just saying, what way am I going to go through telling? Is it going to be first person? Is it going to be uh, just like you like you were saying, a narrator mm-hmm. or somebody that's involved with the story? Not Like, that's one of my biggest... Like, what's the best way to represent this idea that yeah. I have in my head? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, like I said, we'll touch on that because that is on here. So, uh, going just back to the viewpoint narration. Authors like Vladimir Nabokov have written novels featuring protagonists who are unethical or even abusive. In novels such as Nabokov's Lolita, the reader has to remember that the narrating voice has its own agenda. And again, in that novel, it's from the view of a pedophile who's making it seem like he's not a creep. Yeah. Like he's not some sick, twisted adult man who's lusting after a young girl. Because uh, in his mind, it's some kind of love and grand whatever. Um, and I, I never read that novel, but apparently it is done very well, where you could be like, oh, I guess it is a love story. Then you're like, wait, no, ew. You know what? Just kind of thinking about that, like what that guy is like, uh, what people might have seen is that that hard candy movie. Yeah. That's kind of like, you know, the, the this guy is actually a, like a creepy pedophile. But even like, they almost kind of almost make you feel bad. Yeah, they make you feel bad for, for him a little bit, especially whenever the stuff starts to happen, and then they, then at the end though you do realize like, like no man, fuck yeah. this guy. Yeah, they'll remind you. Yeah, no, he's a creep. Example of viewpoint narrative: Virginia Woolf is in a map. Yeah, she is good at this. Virginia Woolf is a master of filtering events via individual characters' perceptions. She often switches between multiple characters' viewpoints within a single page. That's what we were talking about earlier. Well, that would be tricky. Yeah. 
This approach, called stream of consciousness, lets air reveal characters' different fixations and personalities. Take, for example, this scene in Mrs. Dalloway from 1925. Septimus Smith is a World War I veteran whose mental health is crumbling. His Italian wife, Rezia, feels unease and longs for her home country. Wolf switches from paragraph to paragraph between Septimus and Rezia's viewpoints in third person. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. This was right. I'm interested to read this. <laughs> this is an example of a uh, passage from the story. Human nature, in short, was on him, the repulsive brute with the blood-red nostrils. Was he a drunk? Jeez. Holmes was on him. Dr. Holmes came quite regularly every day. Once you stumble, Septimus rode on the back of a postcard. Human nature is on you. Holmes is on you. Their only chance was to escape without letting Holmes know. To Italy, anywhere, everywhere, away from Dr. Holmes. But Rezia could not understand him. Dr. Holmes was such a kind man. He was so interested in Septimus. He only wanted to help them, she said. Wolf's gift for a narrative means that she can narrate individuals' fears and obsessions within a single page without breaking the flow. Wolf reports Rezia's words within narration instead of using dialogue. This allows Wolf's narrative and changing viewpoints to flow into each other without interruption. That's a unique way to do it because yeah. I would always think like the dialogue would be the easy way to do that. Um, but to do it in third person, just in the narrative, the switching back and forth and have it you know make sense... Like, flow, and you don't get lost in the shuffle of what's happening. That is pretty tricky, I would think. I don't think I've ever really tried that so much. And you'd have to have such a command on what your characters are like. Yeah. To make, so that, because that would be the only really way to prove, for people to under, you know, so mm-hmm. they, like you were saying, don't get confused on who's saying what and, yeah. and what's going on now. Yeah, that's tough. But yeah, I would recommend reading some Virginia Woolf if you want a good uh, examples of that. Number three, I wasn't so much interested in this one, but I'll cover it for the... Because we do have some nonfiction writers and uh, even uh, historical fiction writers. Number three is historical narrative, which I guess this doesn't necessarily just have to be history. This might be like date and times, too. Like, if you just have a story set in certain... We'll see here. In genres such as biography, autobiography, and various historical subgenres, examples, historical romance or World War II fiction, a lot of narration recounts events in the past. Of course, the author may choose to tell a war story in a tumultuous present tense. There's no single way to narrate the past, yet it serves a common purpose. Uh, Haruki Murakami has had this in a couple of stories where he has fictitious World War II stories because he's a Japanese author and he's, uh, I'm going to say he's probably in his late 60s or 70s now, so he probably came of age after World War II, so I'm sure it was fairly fresh in the country. But uh, he'll throw in his stories like these pretty wild like World War II individuals and World War II stories. Again, they're completely fictitious, I would hope, because they're pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's like a really cool example of being able to have a narrative, and usually they're in flashbacks, not the whole story, or like somebody's memory, and it's just always really cool when I read something like that. Uh, the purpose of historical narrative. One thing common to historical narrative in different genres is, to sh- is it shows historical process. It links causation from event to event, showing the chain reaction that lead to how things pan out. This is why in historical narratives, such as narration narration sharing a character's backstory, we often have words showing order of events, such as the words bolded in the example. I'm just going to say the words bolded in the example extra loud. Hmm. First, the city was a fledging thing. In the early days, there was one traffic light, and if you were doing your driver's license, you could be damn sure you'd have to drive past it. In later years, as the local publishing industry grew, it became a hotbed of hotshot journalists in training. So the city needed more traffic lights to write about, or real events at least. That's a flow, like a narrative flow. Mm. 
and it's using these transition words and phrases in such a way that you don't even notice yeah. it if I didn't highlight it for you. See, like, I normally, the only time I normally ever see that is um, when somebody's, like, screaming or yelling or, or something like that. That's the only time yeah. I, never, I ever really see, like, the text bold. Like, well, you they know? just put it in bold for the example, so you know they were uh, highlighting the transition words here. A sense of historical cause and effect of long stretches of time cadence is typical of historical narrative. I mean, uh, the most basic examples would be, you know, first he punched her in the mouth, second he fucking uppercutted her in the in the ribs, yeah. third, and then you know, keep going on such and such. Uh, that's a, I don't know why it's somebody beating up a lady. Sorry, mm. I've been trapped in the house for a while. <laughs> no. um, example of narr- uh, historical narrative. Oh man, this guy's got a unique name. Arundhati Roy's novel, The God of Small Things, written in 1997. About tragedies that strike twin siblings born in Amen, Amen, yeah, Amen. The God of Small Things about is written is about tragedies that strike twin siblings born in Ayamenanim in India and their family is full of rich historical narration. For those who don't know, we are usually pretty terrible at pronouncing people's names, city names from around the world. But I am especially terrible at Indian names. Oh yeah. I have not read much um, things either set in India or just dealing with India. That's uh, it's on my bucket list. I just haven't got that far. I'm lucky I can still pronounce Russian names. <laughs> and you know what? When I look them up after the fact, Americans pronounce all Russian names wrong. Even oh, like yeah. even like names like Vladimir aren't Vladimir. They're like like a weird WV sound. Yeah. Like like you can't. Are we just we just stable for us? Yeah, like uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov or what yeah. from the UFC. His name's not actually Khabib; it's Habib. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there's a K in there, so we just call him Khabib because we're stupid. And he's <laughs> just like, my name's Habib. That's like that seems like a simple one. We should be able to. But like Anna Karenina is a great example because some people call it Anna Karenina, some call it Anna Karina. But when I look up the actual Russian uh, way it said, it was like Anna Good Kid. Kiradina, like it was something Russian. They, they speak with a throat. I can't do that. Arabic names also. I suck at Oh, yeah. Oh, so much throaty. Yeah. I can't. That that area, the Middle East area, I am terrible at that. Anyway, after I horribly sidetracked this, I'm sorry. Roy reveals the unusual individualistic nature of one twin, Rahel, by telling the reader Rahel's schooling background. Rahel was first blacklisted in Nazareth, co- convent at the age of 11 when she was caught outside her house mistress's garden gate decorating a knob of fresh cow dung with small flowers oh that's gross and assembly the next morning she was made to look up depravity in the oxford dictionary and read aloud its meaning well i would imagine she's an indian girl and they hold cow sacred so that's why she was yeah you know just they don't think she's just loving cow dung still kind of strange as you're putting flowers on cow dung but it is what it is Roy proceeds to narrate Rahel's expulsion, revealing Rahel's inquisitive mind in the process. Six months later, she was expelled after repeated complaints from senior girls. She was accused, quite rightly, of hiding behind doors and deliberately colliding with her seniors. When she was questioned by the principal about her behavior, cajoled, caned, starved, she eventually admitted that she had done it to find out whether breasts hurt. Another slight deviation. What do you feel about parentheses in your stories? I don't do it very often. I try not to because I don't generally like it. Uh, like in this example, it's in here a couple times, but Stephen King uses it quite yeah. often in some of his stories. 
Because, again, just kind of going back to who's the narrator, I always feel like, well, now that feels like the author speaking to me when I see something like that. The only time uh, I find myself doing that is whenever I have my narrator is kind of like a smartass. Yeah. Because, like, you can, like... But, again, uh, that's a specific narrator yeah. if you're having a character narrate. But I'm talking if you're just doing, uh, you when, know, like, no narrator. It's just you telling the story. Then I would feel like if you threw that in there, it would be like the author is adding that. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's some like there's some times when you can have like um, a narrator that isn't actually somebody from the story, but they can still yeah like, the way because um uh, I know you haven't read it, but like uh, Stephen King since we since we brought him up, like we always do, his underneath the dome is kind of like that. It's just it's narrated by you know somebody that's not. Stuck underneath the dome. It's yeah. just, it's just a, like a third person narrator. But the way that that person kind of narrates and the way they say things about, like, especially against like certain characters or how they describe certain characters. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's almost kind of like it's another character telling you the story, but it's not a character in the story. That's how I feel. Like a lot of my stories are told. Yeah, like a character who like you don't really think about who's telling the story. And again, I think that's the la- one of the la- either the last one or the next one on this list. This, but 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 like that again. That's the only time yeah. I ever use the because if you sometimes just, it does feel necessary to throw those parentheses in there. Like what you put is just like that's not going to read right unless I put that in parentheses. Yeah. Through narrating events in the past and Rahel's schooling, Roy fleshes out a sense of her character. She shows her inquiring, rule-breaking nature while also showing the strict social backdrop that conflicts with it. By narrating Rahel's history or backstory, Roy foreshadows future conflicts between Rahel's individualism and society's expectations. Number four, Lanier narrative. Now we're getting to the meat of the matter. Lanier narrative is a narrative where you tell events in the order they happen, i.e. in sequence. This type of narrative is typical of real realist fi- fiction where the author wants to create the sense of a life unfolding as a character experiences day to day or year to year life. And this is kind of uh, like a lot of cl- most classic literature is written like this, like, you know, just kind of a linear story beginning to end. And probably 90% of my stories are written I'm, like this. I wouldn't say there's a good... I mean, I'll throw well, flashbacks and stuff, but still the actual main plot yeah. doesn't... It's not like Pulp Fiction. It's not skipping yeah. around. Say, well, yeah, a, a good chunk of fiction is a, is more or less a, a linear, like... Yeah. Unless if you, you, like, you know, you get them shows or movies like, like Pulp Fiction or, like, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are those things where, like, they play with, like, the time of when things happen yeah. or when they let you know things or, or even... Even like you haven't watched it, but like like Westward is mm. very like. Well, I heard like the Witcher's like that, real strong. Like yeah. you don't know what the fuck's happening because the time keeps switching, which can be awesome or can be very not good depending on how you play it. Yeah, and if you do it in a book, it also makes the reader have to pay attention. Yeah, which is, uh, in my opinion, of a uh, not required, but it's definitely a good thing to have because if a if the reader in my in my personal opinion, if the reader is able to read your book while kind of fucking around on the phone or not really paying attention. One, it probably means you did write it very well, if they're able to still follow what's happening, but or at least tell the story very well. But two, it means you probably need to be a little... I mean, unless you're writing like just something that's kind of a surface-level Twilight type of story, you probably need to have some, some deeper parts of that story or your storytelling yeah. ability, because I personally, I don't like fiction where I can just kind of breeze through it and not really pay attention and still get the gist of the whole story. Like, I want to be able to take something away from my books. 
But it depends what you're reading. Though. Yeah. If you're just reading like a cheesy romance or something, okay, you could you can have it like that. But that again, that's an episode for another day. The purpose of linear narrative. Linear narrative shows causation clearly. When we see what happened to a character yesterday, then today, then tomorrow, it's often easier to notice patterns and chains of cause and event, cause and effect. Stories told in a linear time frame might be told mainly using past, present, or even future tense. Yet each event flows on simply from the previous incident described. Often this helps to create what Will Self calls the... Will Self, that's a guy's name. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's very poor. His parents were assholes. Yeah, that's, that's an unfortunate name just because it sounds like a phrase. Often this helps to create what Will Self calls the texture of lived life. As we see characters going through this, then that, then the next thing. Example of linear narrative. Is it linear? Linear. It's linear. linear. Why am I saying I think, linear? I was wondering, but that was like... You should have corrected me, you I, fool. You don't get to correct me often. But see, that's the thing. I figured I was wrong. Uh, I was like, have I been saying it wrong all this time? I don't know why. Did I say it? I don't, did I say it the first time like that? I don't think so, no. What the fuck is linear? I've heard that before. Maybe it is. You can pronounce it both ways. It's linear, though. I don't know. Sorry, folks. Sometimes my brain... I kept on, as you were going through, I'm like... <laughs> how often am I right about how to say something? I should probably just shut my mouth. I'll let the comments take care of it. <laughs> so, how many people turned off the episode once they heard me keep saying linear? Like the third time. Linear just sounds stupid. I don't know what I'm thinking. Uh, anyway, example of linear narrative. David Mitchell's genre... You should have fucking... <laughs> you gotta tell me these things. Once I start reading too many weird names and yeah. stuff, I start getting a little like uh, just everything looks like. How do I say this? Yeah. There got to be some trick to it. I turned into I turned into um, David Spade and uh, Chris Farley from uh, Tommy Boy, and they're just flying down the road, all hot, popped up on nitrous. Road, rude. Or, it's, or just you, you turn into the um, the teacher from the Keenan Pierce uh, skit. A mm. A Ron, where's A A Ron? <laughs> <laughs> Example of linear narrative. Dave, and you said it right, and I heard you say it, and I thought to myself, yeah, that's right. And then I just kept saying Lanier. <laughs> that's another reason why I was like, maybe I said it wrong. That's like somebody's name. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, I'm just doing that to make sure you people were paying attention. Yeah. Example of linear narrative. David Mitchell's genre-bending Cloud Atlas 2004 spans multiple eras, settings, and characters, and is non-linear as a whole. Yet one section of his book titled Half-Lives, the first Louisa Ray mystery, is written as a mystery thriller. This section in itself is linear narrative told in the present tense. Louisa Ray is a young journalist who becomes a target of powerful people when she investigates health and safety failings at a nuclear power plant. Mitchell creates suspense and tension by placing Louisa's narration in third person in the present tense. The present tense narrative creates a sense of immediate action unfolding now. Mitchell also creates tension by separating Ray's inner monologue from events happening around her. Here's the example from the, uh, or the excerpt from the story. Louisa Ray hears a clunk from the neighboring balcony. Hello? Nobody. Her stomach warns her to set down her tonic water. It was the bathroom you needed, not fresh air, but she can't face weaving back through the party, and anyway, there's no time. Down the side of the building, she heaves, once, twice, a vision of greasy chicken, and a third time. The linear chain of events, feeling uneasy and ill at a party, getting sick, occur on a simple timeline of this happens and then that. Um, I never really thought of it that way. You could have like a non-linear story and then just throw in, like, I mean, I guess it's not really thrown in. It would just be one part of the, like, if you broke it down to scenes. Yeah. One scene could be from, you know, this happened, that happened, that happened. That makes perfect sense. It doesn't really, 
it's not really breaking your non-linear style of telling the story just to have one scene play out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And number five, non-linear narrative. Different types of narrative include narration that does not follow events in the order they happen. Chronological events, e.g. what happens in 1990 followed by what happens in 1991, don't have to match up with the order of narrative events. The author might share key details from 1991 before going back to the events of 1990 in the story. The purpose of nonlinear narrative. Nonlinear narrative has various uses. It can represent the narrator's emotional state or consciousness. For example, a severely traumatized narrative narrator who has flashbacks might tell events in a jumble of chapters set in different years at a sequence as they try to piece together fragments of memories. It's like a Johnny Mnemonic type of thing. Yeah. House of Leaves was kind of like that. It was all over a fucking place. Like, if you read the narrative structure of that book, jeez, <laughs> that had everything. It can show stories with related art. Well, I guess, what is this, number two? Yeah. Did I read number one? Yeah, I read number one. Number two, it can show stories with related arcs that were themes unfolding in different places and times. In Michael Cunningham's retelling of a, of a sort of Wolf's Mrs. Dalloway, characters living in different time periods have personal experiences and tragedies that echo events from Wolf's book as well as Wolf's own life. That's interesting. Number three, it can build suspense. For example, Donna Tart opens the secret history by telling the reader about a murder. We next meet the murder victim alive as the story jumps back to the event leading to his killing. Example of nonlinear narrative. Linear, damn it, why do I keep saying linear now? I'm starting to hate myself. You know what I feel like? Every time I fucking hear Joe Rogan say Star Trek. Oh. Every time, or William, what does he call him? William Shackner. Yeah, yeah. He always calls him William Shackner. It's like, you know his name. I know <laughs> you know his name. <laughs> Example of nonlinear narrative Donna Tart's prologue to The Secret History 92, 1992 is a masterful piece of nonlinear narrative. Within the first page, we know there's been a murder, and the first person narrator is somehow complicit. Tart's opening paragraph reveals a lot, but still builds anticipation. The show in the mountains was melting. The snow? I know. <laughs> I'm fucking drinking. I'm drinking this dry ass beer. Oh, this, you're, it's you're, like dry my mouth out now. That was you know that's just how Tart's like got peanut butter in my mouth. You gotta drink more beer then. You gotta liquid that thing up. It's not working. I tried. Drink more. Shut up. The snow in the mountains was melting, and Bunny had been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. He'd been dead for ten days before they found him. You know, it was one of the biggest manhunts in Vermont history. State troopers, the FBI, even an army helicopter. The college closed, the dye factory in Hampton shut down. People coming from New Hampshire, upstate New York, as far away as Boston. Did we read that before? Not the actual book, but I feel like I read that passage before on here. Hmm. About Bunny being... The first sentences. Uh, That's what that was from. The episode of the first sentences about Bunny being dead. Yeah. Well, there we got the full paragraph now. Yet next thing we know, we're back in the days when the narrator first met Bunny, and Bunny Corcoran is very much alive. This non-linear linear recalling of events gives us a dramatic moment before its build-up, yet Tart still delays our complete gratification by making us wait for a full understanding of what happened and why. We are 41 episode, minutes into this episode, and that's when my brain stops working, just so you know. That's <laughs> yeah, when that's I can't read anymore. The words are jumbling. We're almost done here, folks. Examples of narrative to improve. Use examples of narrative to improve your own narration. And these are just a couple of tips here, or I guess, I don't know, prompts. Write, number one, write a paragraph in, write a paragraph of historical narrative. Two, write a scene using viewpoint narrative. And that's it. 
That still didn't actually cover what I originally wanted to cover, and that was narrators. Yeah. That's we'll, what I should have looked up. We looked up narrative. That's a completely different thing. Maybe that'll be the next episode we do. I wanted to cover how to, and I thought that's what I looked up originally, was different narrators. Like, we have, you know, the first person, like, oh, this is what happened to me, or this is what I witnessed. Uh, you have, like, somebody writing letters. H.P. Lovecraft does that a lot. It's a first person narrative where the narrator is someone who's writing letters and he'll switch narrator during the story but it's like written through letters and stuff um sometimes i like those ones the best because it's like those ones there's a dialogue yeah that breaks it up a little bit other than just like paragraph of describing everything that's happening Uh, in crazy detail yeah it's a little too much but for me again it's the the whole thing of who is narrating this story that's where my problem usually lies cuz like when cuz i write in third person most of the time like third person past tense but i don't ever really establish a narrator too much yeah like this is steve telling the yeah, story yeah this is steve re- te- you know recounting what happened or something i don't really have that i don't have like once upon a time in a book found in the woods, this was the story that unfolded in its pages. Like, I don't do stuff like that generally. Maybe I should. I don't know if but, it really but, matters because I feel like as soon as you get into the story, you're not thinking about that. Yeah, and so cool. especially with that example because that ex- that example is just like you don't know who yeah. that once upon a time guy is. Well, like is. we talked about the Conan stories before. Who was the narrator on most of those? Nobody? No. It was just Conan's adventures, right? I yeah. never really... Uh, thought about who was telling the story uh obviously there's you know people that were involved what was happening to them but it never really it wasn't from conan's perspective yeah because there's plenty of stories where it's like the the main character the story's not throwing through that person like, yeah which uh, because like you know we're talking about that's probably like the easiest because i always find me liking stories, or at least I'm always reading stuff to where, like, stuff is happening. Like, like you know more than what the characters yeah. know of what's going on, like, with a mystery or whatever. And it's like you have to, you know, yeah. you're seeing them trying to figure whatever it is out. Well, we're definitely going to do an episode about narrators. Because, like, I was thinking, when I read Tom Sawyer, it was, I, I guess it was just Mark Twain telling you the story. But there was multiple parts where it was like, as the author, I'm telling you, like, it was... Mm. It was it was like Mark Twain when he's doing his orating, you know, when he would do like a stand-up or whatever where he was telling you stories. It was like that in written form. Okay. So he was telling the story, I would guess. Um, it didn't establish the narrative, but I'm pretty sure it was just Mark Twain. I don't know. I, honestly, I don't really pay attention too much to that in stories unless it's like, you know, a main focal point at the mm-hmm. beginning. It's like, this is who's telling the story. I generally don't really pay attention too much. Like House of Leaves, it was... Uh, that, well, there was a lot of ways that story was told, but it's through like the one main character. He was the main guy, and there was multiple people telling the story. But it was never just like an aimless the story being told, and you're not sure who was telling it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But like, if you watch movies, you don't think of movies like who's telling the story of this movie. Like sometimes there is, but uh, like there's a lot of movies where it's just, no. just just happening. Yeah, nobody's telling it, and like a lot of movies based on books is the same. Like The Road. When I was reading, like I read The Road. Who the fuck was the narrator of the road? Nobody. It was just about a kid and his dad wandering through the apocalypse. Yeah. There was no narrator. It wasn't a book they found, or there wasn't somebody just telling you the story. It wasn't the author. It was just like what was happening to them. So that's kind of the wheel. That's my wheelhouse, I guess. That's how I write. Yeah. I just don't have a narrator. But maybe we should start establishing 
narrators and at least some well, of our stories. Again, it's uh, whatever whatever serves the story mm-hmm. best. Yeah, now when I was doing like the H.P. Lovecraft first person style stories, then I was doing the narrator because it was the guy who was telling what happened to him. He was writing it down, uh, which again, that was very easy to write. Cause you're just like, oh, like you don't have to focus on, you don't have to focus on that too much. Um, but we'll tackle that future episode. Uh, I hope you folks learn some stuff. Um, what's your preferred narrative style? Probably third person. Just the third part. Well, I mean, as far as, uh, oh, just the viewpoint narrative. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, I don't do many linear, more of a linear again with not, Writing that with not graduating to the bigger length of fiction, you know, with it like being just like a normal short story. You don't really have to think about it too much. Yeah, and it doesn't like doesn't play as much of a factor. I think you know if you can. I'm pretty sure all your stories that I've read were uh, linear. Yeah, like they were just kind of beginning it, to end. Order. Yeah, it's just a chain of events that happened. Didn't really do. Any, like, flashbacks or, like, anything like that, really? I mean, I'll throw flashbacks and stuff in my stories, but it's still the main story is told. Yeah. I don't I don't skip around. That that would be hard, like, to keep it all on track. Like, not just keep it in track, but keep the reader from getting confused. Yeah. That would be, you have to be really good at writing. I don't think I'm up there yet. To, I mean, I never tried my hand at it, but to skip... Like, I can skip various scenes where, like, here's this scene, and then... You know, across the globe, here's what's happening to this person. Like, I could do that pretty easy. But when, in regards to actual time periods, I've never really fucked around too much with that. Like, have one character. It's Monday. And, you know, this is what happened on Monday. Then all of a sudden, we skipped to fucking Saturday two days before. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've really tr- tried that. I would have to look through my stuff to see. But I don't think I messed around with that too much. Um, what, what were the other ones? The historical one I'm not too interested about. Uh, cause when I, um, like I said, I write like flashbacks and stuff, but I don't really focus too much on that. And, and the viewpoint narrative, that's, uh, yeah, and I've ha- done that before. And we haven't really wrote anything like in a time period, like that would be considered like, well, I mean, you did that, I've like that Western a- story, but yeah, that- I, I've had a bunch of stories set in specific time periods, but at the same time, uh, I don't think any of them really dealt too much with the actual period of time. Yeah. I mean, the Western story was set in that time. But I wasn't, like, really focused on, yeah. you know, that lifestyle back then. It was more just about the characters. Um, obviously, the town and stuff was old western towns, but the setting wasn't the main. Yeah. I think you're if you're telling that kind of story, like World War II or something, the setting's clearly a big part of the story. My story could have easily been a modern story set in the West, almost. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't really ha- it'd have to be a specific time period. Um. Anyway, folks. If you want to check out our work and see if you could break down some of our narrative structures by yeah. reading our stories, you can head uh, head on over to drunkenpenwriting.com. You can follow us on the old Twitter if you'd like, at drunkpenwriting. You can go to Instagram, at drunkenpenwriting. Uh, we haven't really shared much on there. I, I post, like, the stories, but I haven't done, like, pictures. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I just... I do too many things, man. But I also feel like I don't do anything. Yeah, right. Isn't that the bad part? It's like, I feel like I don't do anything. It's like, you know, I go to work. I do this. I do that. But then at the same time, I feel like I don't accomplish anything. Uh, it's, it's like this weird limbo that's awful. You can also check us out on Facebook. People seem to like the Facebook. I don't. Um, <laughs> Drunk and pen writing. That's where we get most of our interaction anymore. Like People commenting on stuff and sending messages. And it's like, okay, that's cool. I just... 
Facebook makes me mad, girl. <laughs> a lot of douchebags on there, girl. Okay, okay. And uh, as of what's the day? The twenty fourth, Sat Friday. Yeah, Friday. By the time this air- airs on Tuesday, uh, hopefully you folks have uh, wisened up and are not drinking bleach and Clorox and all that stuff like the president said. Yeah, don't <laughs> inject yourself with Vicks infection or whatever it Lysol was. Lysol or whatever. Yeah, Sun, don't do any of that. Just what was it, like sunlight? Did anyone something to do with like, yeah, just sunlight? Going, I don't know. I guess he thinks humans are vampires and we can kill the vampire gene by burning it out with sunlight. Um, there's a lot of questionable science going on, but not by scientists. <laughs> um, Pseudoscience if I've ever seen it. All right. Oh, uh, God. This is, like, worse than bro science. Yeah. Because at least bro science, you'd be like, well... It's pseudoscience, yes. but it's like there's some... Like, I heard somebody say something that sounded reasonable. It sounds yeah. reasonable. Drinking Clorox doesn't <laughs> sound reasonable at all. Anyway, uh, oh, and uh, if you folks are interested, you can check out the Ear Read This podcast. I was just on there last week, so... Good episode. Can, I listened to it. it yeah. Was- Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, we both... Them and us have covered him before, but we just kind of went over his life and talked about some wacky stuff. And folks, also remember, we will be reading The Big Sleep Here Soon by Raymond Chandler. If you want to get your hands on a copy, now's the time. We'll probably be starting that within the next week here. And uh, take it easy, ladies and men and sexy people. And I don't know what to call them. I don't know how to help. I don't know what I'm doing. What do I do? I'm panicking. Just stop. I, I can't just stop. Hey, hit the button. Hit It'd the be button. weird. It'd be weird. Hit the button. <laughs>